It's about a living, personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and that relationship must be ongoing, and that is through abiding. He will abide in us, and we will abide in Him, and then we will bear much fruit. Life in the Vine Jesus emphasizes the importance of being in a relationship with Him as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. Much of the book of Ecclesiastes can sum up our postmodern culture today. Whether the pursuit is labor or pleasure, it is ultimately empty of meaning. To tie it to our lesson for this week, this is life outside or disconnected from the vine. Life that is really no life at all. Christ is the true vine and we, as the Apostle Paul puts it, have been grafted in by the grace of God. The call for us is to remain in this vine, to be faithful to Him as He works in us to bring about the fruit that will last. Before we turn it over to Father Ward, we would like to thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes. And if you have enjoyed what you're hearing from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review. Your positive feedback will help us reach more people with this podcast. And now, with this week's lesson in the Gospel of John, here is Father Ward. So, as I mentioned, John 15, and and I'll invite you, you can turn now to your Bibles to John chapter 15. It can be broken up into three main sections, our relationship with God, our relationship with other believers, and our relationship with the world. So let's uh, break open the Scriptures and let's uh, unpack John chapter 15. So uh, the first words that we hear in chapter 15, Jesus says, I am the vine. But He doesn't just say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. Now usually when we say, I am the vine, we're getting it from verse 5. But... He first states, I am the true vine. So why would he add true to vine? Because there's another vine that really isn't the true vine, but it's still a vine nonetheless. Now, note that Jesus is using a metaphor from horticulture that was well known in Israel for a couple reasons. A, because there were vineyards all over, right? Grapes, get the wine from the vineyard. But also, the vineyard, the vine, was a symbol for Israel. And so, throughout the history of Israel, the vine was to represent Israel and her relationship with God. That God called forth this vine, this vineyard, and it is God's responsibility to tend the vineyard, to take care of it, but it's the vineyard's responsibility, the vine, Israel's responsibility to bear fruit. But we know what happened. Israel did not bear good fruit fruit. And so we read, and there are several passages in the Old Testament that speak of this, but the best one would be the one from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Verse 1 says, let me sing now for my well-beloved, and this is the Lord speaking, a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with, with the choicest vine." And he built a tower in the middle of it. 
and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard than I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds to rain. No rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his delightful plant. So what this is saying is that Judah, even though is the southern kingdom, because when Isaiah prophesied, Israel, which had been one kingdom, was really two. So what the Lord is saying is they're both part of my original vineyard. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. So, in other words, Israel was supposed to produce the righteousness of God. Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. Israel was supposed to produce fruit that reflected its relationship with God. That fruit would be being doing the things God has told them to do and to be the things that God has told them to be. But they failed. And so God was pronouncing judgment. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, He is saying that Israel is not the true vine. And so if you're a Jew, don't think that just because you are God's chosen people and that you have been given the covenants of God, that you're all set and secure. That if you're going to truly be set and secure, you have to now abide, you have to enter into the vine, be a part of the vine, the true vine, which is Jesus. Now again, remember the vine, the vineyard, was very significant in Israel to the point where if you walked in the temple, there was a place where there was incredible, all in gold, uh, vines and grapes. Grapes the size or clusters the size of a, a grown man. And people would contribute to the temple to this gold, and it would actually, the vine would get bigger and bigger. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian uh, of the first century, wrote about this. And he said that when the Romans went in and destroyed the city or, and the temple in 70 A.D., there was so much gold that the Romans took that the gold prices in Syria, that whole region, were cut in half because there was so much gold that had been in the temple that had been you know, put, through, put there. And, and, and of course, it wasn't just this huge vineyard and vines and grapes and stuff that was you could see it. So some scholars speculate that Jesus did not teach his whole discourse here, the final teaching, in the, in the upper room. That he actually took the disciples out. And in fact, when you look at some of the other gospel, uh, gospel like uh, the synoptics, it would suggest that Jesus was, he actually was teaching them as they were walking to the temple and as he went, to the, he went through the Kindon Valley and then he ended up in the Mount of Olives where he was betrayed. The significant thing is the temple was open for people to walk through on the night of Passover because there were so many pilgrims from all over the world. It usually would be closed, but it would be open on that evening. 
So it could very well be that as Jesus was walking with his apostles through the temple, that he came to that point in that part of the temple where he had all this this gold and and everything, and he said, "I'm the true vine." And then notice what he says. He says after he says, "I'm the true vine," and my Father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, we all know that pruning is not a happy thing for the, for the branches. But it's necessary. So in order to have good grapes, in order to have good produce, you need to have good stock. The vine's got to be really good. Then the branches, as they're in the vine, they're going to bear the fruit. But if a branch isn't doing too good... Well, if a branch becomes dead, you've got to remove it. Otherwise, it will draw nutrients. It will pull away from the effectiveness of the vine able to uh, provide for the other branches. So what's significant about this, spiritually speaking, is that so Jesus is the true vine, but it's the Father who is doing all the kind of taking care of everything. So it highlights the relationship that we have in the Trinity, starting with the Father and then the Son, and then we'll see at the end of the chapter the Holy Spirit. But the bottom line is that Jesus is the vine. We have to be in in that vine, but it's the Father ultimately that's in control of kind of the bigger picture. And that's why we enter into relationship with the Father through the Son. That's being evidenced in this uh, metaphor. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So Jesus, notice what he does here. He wants to affirm and let the disciple, the apostles know, the disciples know that they're in him, that it's okay, that they don't have to be doubting, they don't have to be wondering. Um, he said there was someone who was not clean. Who was that? That was Judas, right? Early in John 13. But you're clean. And what he's talking about is that you have right standing before my Father and before me. Why? Because of the Word that I have spoken to you. Now, what's significant about the Word? It is God's Word that sanctifies us. It is God's Word that forgives us. It is God's Word that cleanses us. How? Remember, what does God's Word do in our lives? You know, you know Paul's uh, statement in Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God, right? Before we can have faith, we have to hear the Word. You have to be able to respond by faith to the Word, but you can't respond by faith to the Word unless you first are exposed to it. And so what does the Word do? The Word convicts us of our sin. God's Word tells us who we are and what we need. God's Word not only convicts us of our sin, But God's Word assures us of His promises. Confirms the promises of God. And then, God's Word gives us wisdom for how we are to live our lives. So, we're brought into right relationship by God through His doing, and it's simply what He declares. And then we receive it by faith. And so the disciples, Jesus is saying, is that you're clean because of what I have said, because of what I'm doing, because of who I am. Verse 4. Now the key, though, 
for the branches, and we're the branches. We'll see that in a moment. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Now, what abide means is to remain. And so when we remain in Jesus, that means we're to remain in relationship with Him. And it isn't something that we just do one time. It isn't, you know, stop and go. It's not on and off. But it means, abiding means continuously. Never ending. And notice that unless the branch, just as a branch has to abide in the vine in order to live and in order to produce fruit, Jesus says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, what is Jesus saying here? Why does this need to be front and center of our personal life? Why does it need to be front and center of every church? Because as you've heard me say and others, it's not about religion. It's not about following a bunch of laws and rules and regulations. It's about a living, personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that relationship must be ongoing. And that is through abiding. He will abide in us and we will abide in Him. And then we will bear much fruit. And the fruit can really be broken down into three categories. The Scriptures, I gave you some references. The Scriptures are very clear. The fruit of abiding in Jesus would be what would be termed the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That means our character and the virtues in our life, that they become an essence of who we are. So that's our character, that's our inner spirit, that it reflects the very nature of God. So what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, right, kindness, gentleness. Goodness, self-control, these things, inner qualities. That's the fruit. But the fruit also is the fruit of good works. That godly character and those inner virtues and those things that reflect the very heart of God should then be fleshed out in how we live our lives. Are we putting the things of God into action? Are we listening to what God wants us to do and doing it? And then the third would be the fruit of new believers. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, none of these three things are possible unless you're in relationship with Jesus Christ. It just won't happen. If it does, it's kind of phony. Fake. And so Jesus is saying that if we're going to bear fruit, if we're going to truly be His disciples, then we must abide in Him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That means, it doesn't mean you can't still do stuff without Jesus, but you're not going to do anything of spiritual significance, of eternal value, of benefit spiritually, unless it emanates from your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, why is that? Because if that's the case, then who gets the credit? You do. So if Christ isn't the source, then ultimately I'm the source and that won't really stand before a holy God. That ultimately everything goes back to Christ because it's in Him we live, move, and have our being. It's in Him all things hold together. Now, the contrast is made to reinforce this truth that we must abide 
in Christ as a branch abides in the vine. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. So right there, there's judgment. So if you don't abide in Christ, you cannot have life because He is the essence of life. Remember, I quoted John 1, verses 1-4, through 4, which isn't just one passage alone. It's one passage among many that affirm that Jesus is the one who gives eternal life. Jesus is the one who gives life. It's why He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. It's why He said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's why He has the power to call forth Lazarus from the dead. It's why He rose victorious on the third day. And so if you reject Christ, you're rejecting the very essence of your being, of your life. And so Jesus is saying we can't have such branches remain that's counter, not only counterproductive, but it's just counter-life. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So what principle is he talking about here in terms of abiding? Prayer. Prayer is communication, is communion with God. And so the way prayer really goes is it's got to be a two-way street, right? That Yes, we're sharing our heart and our thoughts and our words and our desires with God, but He does the same thing to us. So if I'm abiding in God, in Christ, that means that I'm taking in what He says. I'm taking in what He desires. I'm, I'm seeking after Him. And so prayer is in essence to abiding. So we, you see the pattern here? We have His Word. We take in His Word. We continue with prayer, going back to God, but then receiving from Him within the context of our life. And then there's a third element. Verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples. Just as the Father has loved Me, I have also loved you. Abide in My love. If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love, just as I have kept My Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that My joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So let's back up to verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So God wants us to produce fruit. The only way you're going to produce that good fruit of the inner man and the outward, as well as bring new believers into the kingdom, is by walking with Christ. Walking with Christ means taking in His Word, means being in prayer and communion with Him day by day. And as we are doing that, we then start to get in tune with His desires. And so then when I start asking things according to His will, because then I start to know what His will is, or I have a sense, or I'm accepting that, then I start to see things happen in my life. And all of this is rooted in love. So we need to be reminded that the reason why we have this opportunity to be in Christ is because of His great love for us that He's demonstrated in so many ways and the knowledge that we're loved by God, we're chosen by God. And so, if I'm loved by someone, what should be my response to that person that I freely give love back? And so, this relationship of prayer and then taking in Jesus' words and all of that is a relationship of love. 
But here's the thing, if I really love someone, I'm going to be faithful to them. I'm going to reveal myself as they reveal their, themselves to me and vice. And then I'm going to respect them, honor their wishes. It's going to be a, a, a wonderful friendship. Right? And so we, as we're going to hear later, Jesus in just a couple of verses calls us friends. And so it's this abiding relationship of love that is at the heart of everything, but it will include obedience. You can't expect God to honor you if you don't honor Him. And so Jesus says, if you truly love Me, you're going to keep My commandments. So when this starts happening in our lives, and we've all been there, think about it. When we understand who we are in Christ, when we receive the love of God, when we spend time in His Word and see the wonderful wisdom and, and, and power and, and plan of God, when we are praying and when we're obeying, then what happens? We start to see God work in our lives. We start to see God bring us through those valleys. We start to see God's purposes accomplished, even though there might be setbacks from time to time. And then what will be the result? Joy. That's why so many people will always, not always, but often they'll say that, you know what, I really have found joy in this opportunity to serve someone else. I really have found joy in this opportunity to, to show God's love. There's that, because we were made to do such things. We were made to love others. We were made not to just think of ourselves first. The self-centered road ultimately is a lonely road. But the other-centered road road is a road of love, but of course it has to be grounded first in God. So in other words, someone can be really into love and serving others and celebrating love between other people, but if God is not in the center, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to eventually wear down. It's eventually going to backfire. And so it's the love of God that makes everything meaningful it puts us on the right path and it's abiding in that loving relationship that will produce joy in our lives. And note that joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. And Jesus talked about giving us His peace in the previous chapter in 14.27. But this joy is not like human happiness because human happiness is based on circumstances whereas God's joy comes from within and it's based on a relationship with God. So it doesn't matter. I can have God's joy if I'm in prison. I can have God's joy if I'm struggling maybe with an illness. I can have God's joy still if I'm hungry. It's not easy, but I can still have the joy of the Lord. And that's why the Scriptures say the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's in Him. So what we've just encapsulated in this first section of John 15 of what Jesus is teaching, very simple yet profound, of the importance of having an abiding relationship in the vine, the true vine, Christ, and the benefits that result from that. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. 
To learn more about our church, please visit stbartston.org. Again, that's stbartston.org. You can also connect with St. Bartholomew's on Facebook and Instagram through the handle at St. Bart's Anglican Church. And you can connect with this podcast through at Transforming Lives Together Cast. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue with Life's Meaning and Purpose, an in-depth study of the Gospel of John. Until then, we leave you with these verses from Paul's letter to the Romans. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. God bless you.